Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is the editor-in-chief and a sports writer for the Atlantic Detroit. He has covered the Atlanta Thrashers for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He was a national hockey writer for the Sporting News from 2008 to 2011. Since 2011, he's been an NHL reporter for ESPN, ESPN the magazine. His book, Behind the Bench, Inside the Minds of Hockey's Greatest Coaches, takes the fan inside film sessions and candid conversations with some of the game's most notable coaches, such as Mike Babcock, Joel Quenville, Dan Bleisner, Todd McClellan, Ken Hitchcock, Claude Julian. It is a great read with thrill to welcome Craig Custis to WLIE, WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Craig. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's doing great. We're having a, a nice night tonight. And I have to tell you, um, kudos to you because this book's concept for me is off the charts awesome. It's basically Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee meets Mystery Science Theater 3000 meets the NHL Tonight. As instead of just interviewing the coaches, you sat down with them, watched games that you felt were each coach's crowning achievements or their signature game. How did you come up with the idea? And given the short off season, especially now in hockey, how did you, logistically you pull that all together? Yeah. Oh well. The second part, logistics were was a, a disaster. I mean, it was it was trying it was trying to cram a lot of work into a short period of time. Um, but to, to back up, just the, the concept of the book it came a long time ago. I mean, where I, I had the seed planted in my head, and I share the story in the book and early on. But I remember sitting in an, on the Ken Hitchcock scrum while he was coaching the Columbus Blue Jackets, and and as you guys know, a lot of times once the microphones are off and you put your recorder away and the cameras walk away. The coaches will st- stick around and chat. And, and Ken Hitchcock put in a good, like, 15-minute session that was unreal. Like, just, you know, you, I learned more in that 15 minutes than I had in, you know, a year of covering hockey until at that point. And, and I just remember talking to the, the guy next to me, and I said, man, that was great. You know, I could do that all day long. And he said, oh, sometimes he'll bring in and you can watch, he'll, he'll break down film and, you know, with, so you have a better understanding of what they're trying to do. And I just remember thinking, boy, it would be so cool to, to really dive into that and sink your teeth into some great games with these coaches that they'd coached in and tuck that away. And while I was at ESPN, I mean, that's, it's a tough sell because you're asking, you're asking for a long time. Like, if you get time with a coach alone, it's usually 10, 15 minutes. And I'm, here I am thinking, boy, I, all I want <laughs> is four or five hours you know, or a half a day, right? Right. So it was a, it was a big sell. And so I, I really thought a book form was the, the only way to, to pull it off and – and, and then, you know, once I got a few coaches to agree to it, it snowballed from there because it's, you know, if you go to a, co- a couple coaches and you say, hey, you know, Mike Babcock is in and, and Claude Julian's in and Joe Quenville's in, will you, will you do it? And once I kind of hear that, it, it, it took off. And, and then it just became actually pulling it off, which was kind of a story in its own. Were you really worried? The first couple of coaches, they would back out of you. They wouldn't be there. Why were you so nervous more? They said yes, and, you know, even if you get by the front doors, he can still be there for me. Yeah, I mean that's just kind of how I'm I'm wired, right? Like until I'm sitting there, even when I was done, I'm like I'm like, oh man, what if the, my tape recorder didn't work or something? Like I'm always thinking worst case scenario, and I, it's a character flaw, I guess. But man, I've just been around these things enough where you know, some someone you'll go and you, you line something up, and until it actually happens, you never want to count on it. 
And there was so little margin for error with this book. I mean, it was 10 coaches. It was mapping a lot of their time. And, you know, I'm flying into their, you know, wherever they live for one afternoon so that if it doesn't happen uh, when, when we set it up, then it's, I don't even know if it's going to happen. And there was, you know, there was some that it didn't happen. Daryl Sutter is a good example. He was, I, I wanted him to be in this book. We agreed to it. And it, like logistically, in the time frame I had to, to get it done, uh, you know, to get this manuscript in for this book, he went away and he had some vacations over the summer, and it just didn't work out. And we ended up getting Mike Sullivan, who was fantastic <laughs> instead. But um, it was, you know, it was it was crazy. And so that would really, I was trying to think of something that would tie the book together. Um, so I really didn't want people saying, you know, I only like I only like Bob Hartley, so I'm going to skip to that chapter because I'm a Colorado fan. Or I only like Mike Sullivan, so I'm going to go to the, or John Tortorella. I'm going to go to that chapter. I wanted I wanted to kind of tie the story together and really. Trying to pull that off in a whatever it was, eighteen month span, ended up being the narrative that I used to pull together. You know, it's also interesting with those ten coaches. The forward is perfect as well. As Sidney Crosby played for several of those coaches in the games that were highlighted, was that something that occurred to you when you put this list together in those games? That hey, oh wow, Sid played in the Olympics. Oh wow, Sid played in the World. Oh wow, Sid played in this game. Or yeah. was that something that just organically happened, and then you realized the connection between the two? Yeah, like I'm not the brightest guy, so that actually took a while to figure out, right? So I do all the interviews, and I'm trying to get the timeline of this, but I think I'd already done all the interviews. I sat down and started writing it, and uh, you know, I had kind of someone else in mind to do to do the forward. And as I was writing these, I'm like, man, Sid is a prominent player in 40 percent <laughs> of these chapters, right? Like, yep. you know, with Mike Sullivan, Dan Bilesman, and. Todd McClellan, who, who you know, Sid won the triple gold playing the world championships with Todd. That that was the, one of the chapters, and so and of course, like if you can get the best hockey player in the world <laughs> to help out with the book, I mean that's always a good idea too. And and even that one was crazy. It, it, you know, we we wanted to get that done in January. I guess it would have been I've lost track of last year, and. And, you know, Sid, of course, doesn't want to, you know, this is, this is kind of, I'm asking a lot again and wanted to wait till after the season. And we convinced the publishers to put it off and they were great. It's like, okay, it's Sidney Crosby, whatever he wants, we'll do. <laughs> and, and then it's like, oh, well, hopefully the Penguins don't go on a long run. Like that would be the worst case scenario for us. <laughs> we're holding everything. Right. And, and I covered them all spring and they just kept on going and, you know, game seven wins. And here I am saying, boy, you know, it wouldn't kill me if they would go ahead and lose this game and, <laughs> It was just kept on going until the, literally the last day before, like, we got to get this done, you know, before we have to go to plan B tomorrow. And then we pulled it all together. You know, we could do a full show on each chapter, but obviously uh, having covered the Rangers and getting the opportunity to spend lots of times with head coach John Tortorella and assistant coach Mike Sullivan when they were here in New York, that chapter, when you sit down with both of them to view Tort's Game 7 of the 2004 Stanley Cup Finals and Mike's Game 6 of the 2016 Stanley Cup Finals, immediately caught my attention. So first, can you tell our audience how and why did Tort suggest the two of them sit down together, and how did it differ from the one-on-one sessions you had with with the other eight coaches. Yeah, that chapter has its own flavor, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, Mike was, he was kind of a late addition, and it really it couldn't have worked out any better because we're trying to cram these in in a short period of time, and you're texting back and forth. And John Tortorella, who, you know, who I really had only worked with fairly limited, he agreed to do it and was, it was extremely helpful. And 
And it, that goes to show you how passionate these guys are about their profession and kind of working with each other and coaching. And and he said, you know, we're going to be in St. Paul, Minnesota for a USA hockey thing. Um, in fact, Jim Johansson, who died today, who was, uh, he, you know, huge power in USA hockey, he had organized all these coaches to come in, had gotten a conference room at, at a really nice hotel in Minnesota. And, and John was just like, look, we've got this, all this is set up perfectly for, for something like this. He's like, what do you think if we just, we'll do my game? You know, we can bang out, Mike Sullivan's going to be there. We can go back to back. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course, yes. <laughs> That's a brilliant idea. And it, it ended up being different because we did Mike Sullivan first. And, and you know, him and I are watching the, the Penguins and Sharks play. That was the game six and whatever year that was. And the game had just happened only, you know, a couple months ago and prior to that. And, and so Mike was, unlike a lot of the coaches in this book, Mike was still very close to it. And, and so you're a little bit more guarded, right? When you're still, these are still the guys you're coaching currently. He can't maybe be as forthcoming about some of the players or whatever. I mean, he's right in the middle of it. Whereas John was just listening. And if Mike was kind of, you know, beating around the bush or something, John will go, hey, you know, Mike can't say this right now, but here's what we all thought of Sidney Crosby, you know, five years ago and or whatever he would say. And he would give this great opinion. And I'm, basically there's parts of that book where it's just, you know, here's a transcription of us sitting around this room talking. You know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned in some of the chapters the different brotherhood of coaching. And when you meet them at the St. Paul Hotel and – you're there, and the doors open to the room you're going to be going in. Jack Capuano, Phil Housley, Scott Gordon walk out of the conference room. And I'm just wondering if you're thinking at that point, hmm, behind the bench volume two. And the reason why I'm asking that is because those three, achievement-wise, are not in the same category as the ten that are in the book. But those guys had major challenges with the teams they had and circumstances they were in. Do you think that you know that might make for interesting reading as well, where where coaches are not given the talent needed to really win a cup, but have to contend and do things to motivate their teams. Uh, maybe even a harder job than the ten that are in this book. Yeah, I, well, I think there's there's a lot. I think coaches are fascinating in general, and what, what I've really been happy about this book is that. It's become a kind of a coaching book, not so much a hockey coaching book. So I've heard from coaches all over in different sports that are like, I got this because I want to see how these, the best at the, the sport of hockey do it. But, you know, I'm a college basketball coach or whatever. And I'm thrilled to see that because I, I think there's a lot to learn from both winning and, and, like you said, the challenges that come from from maybe not having the greatest team. And what one of the things that struck me about doing this was basically how close – so many of these guys came to not winning and probably their whole life story changing. And sometimes it's a puck that goes off the crossbar uh, and bounces out instead of in. Um, There was was a moment when I'm sitting down with Joel Quenville and he says, hey, let's fast forward to the part where Jonathan Taves gets hurt. And I'm like, and this is game six against Philly. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, no, that that didn't happen. You know, that never happened. We never heard about Taves getting hurt. He's like, oh, yeah, Taves got hurt. And then we start looking, and lo and behold, there's a moment where you see somebody, I think it was Scott Hartnell, lands on his knee, and he goes, we kept sending him out there basically as a decoy to take, you know, so Philly didn't realize how hurt he was. But chances are, if we play game seven, Taves doesn't play. And I'm, like, blown away at that, you know? And it's like, how different are we looking at those Blackhawks team? Maybe they don't win that game. Maybe it's Philly that wins, you know. Or, and, and this happened time and time again. So, like, those coaches you mentioned, 
they, you know, who knows if they get a bounce along the way and their story is completely different. And it's interesting, too, because even further along in really the brotherhood and how close these guys are, you look at those guys that were together, coaching together in the USA Hockey program, uh, you have both Torts and Sullivan, who interviewed with Garth Snow for the vacant Islanders job. Torts withdrew. Snow hired Gordon over Sullivan, and Jack Capuano eventually took over Scott Gordon's job. So it's really, that was like the amazing confluence of those guys all being together in the same room. Pretty interesting. So one of it the was things- fascinating. And then, you know, Torts even saying, like, I, I don't know if it was the Islanders' job. He said there was a point in one of those interviews where he's like, give the job to Mike Sullivan. Yeah, the Islanders' like, job. Did, yep. You know, yeah, he's like, this, this guy is ready. Like, this is a guy. And he just, and it was fascinating to hear those two talk about how they basically hit a point after getting fired in Vancouver where they're like, okay, we got to separate. Like, they, they've just been too associated with each other. Uh, and, and, you know, even me as an outsider, you just, I, I thought of Mike Sullivan and I thought of an assistant coach who coached under John Tortorella. You know, I didn't think of, of, of Mike Sullivan as this future head coach, you know, and, and, and I, it was so smart of them to realize that. So you have two chapters in the book based on the same game, and you watch it with the winning coach and the losing coach, Ron Wilson and Mike Babcock. I have it actually the other way around. Babcock was winning coach. So what yeah. did you learn about coaching and viewing games by watching the same game with the two coaches? It was, you know, those two coaches are so different, and and you know, Mike is. He's got a presence, and he's super prepared. And Mike was fascinating going through that game, watching him, because he's, he's taking notes. He's got his notepad out, and he's like, he's like, pause it, stop it right there, turn it back, you know. And he's like, that's, that's a teachable moment that I can use, and, and he's writing it down, and he's just using it as a coaching session. And it was fascinating where, where Ron Wilson, again, who's in his own right, highly successful coach, it was like watching it. Was, you know, he's just kicking back. He hadn't watched that game since it happened. And so the challenge with him was it's such a great game, as you guys know. One of the, it's the best game I've ever been to live. And the challenge with Ron Wilson was we, neither him or I were saying anything because it was such a great game. And about halfway through the first period, I'm like, oh, this is going to make for a horrible book if I come down here and neither of us talk for three hours. <laughs> you know? So, like, that was it, was... it was So I guess the difference... It, it just showed how, di- you know, how different a personality you have. Like, Ron Wilson, you know, he's sarcastic and he's funny and he's cracking jokes. And Mike Babcock is intense, and he's got the glare, and he's always preparing, and, and he, you know, whatever. He, and, and it, you know, the, kind of the conclusion you can make is, is there's not one style or one personality that will lead you ultimately to success. Now, it's interesting because uh, about three weeks ago we had Pete Rose on, and we are talking about the, the influx of these new managers who, who haven't ever managed in the minor leagues, and he boiled it down very succinctly. And he said, you know what? All the key to being a great coach or a great manager is knowing what guy needs to have a kick in the ass, what guy needs to have a pat on the ass, and which guy needs to be left alone. And there's a bit of that in Torch's chapter. And, um, and I and Torch always talked about mental toughness, but your question to him might be very simple, but maybe the greatest question ever asked. And, and that was basically you asked him how you make a player who is not mentally tough into a mentally tough player. Can you give us Torts' answers? And, and obviously we're on radio, so you need to clean it up a little bit. But uh, what Torts' answer to that was? Man, I, you're putting me on the spot because I haven't cracked the book open since it came out. So I, like, I'm like so removed now. But, you know, Torts, it, it was interesting because I, I don't know if it was before or after I talked to him. I talked to Brad Richards. 
And basically, it must have been after because I, I was relaying what John had said, and and basically he got into the, you know, creating conflict and how he would go out of his way to, you know, basically what he would say, mind games with these guys, right? And, yep. and only you the, probably the mind death exactly. Yeah, the mind. Yeah, the yeah. mind game. And I think that's the answer you're probably referring yep. to. And yep. and how do you make a guy mentally tough? And he would mess with them. And man, that to me is a fascinating concept because um, if you're creating conflict and, and that's you also run the risk of losing a guy. And if a guy just checks out because he thinks you're messing with them or is just like I, that's not how he operates, then he's gone. And and Torts basically acknowledged that. He's like, there's been times I've crossed the line, but he's just like, you got to have conflict, you got to hash things out. You know, if you put it off till tomorrow, if it's a problem today, you're going to have two more problems tomorrow. And I just remember, like, saying to Brad Richards, man, if somebody was doing this with me, I, like, I wouldn't have dealt with it. I would have just gone into a shell. And he's like, you know what? You wouldn't have, you would have been gone. You would have, you would, they would have run you out. Like, that was and, – and I guess the, ultimately the conclusion there is you end up with a team that can handle it that's way mentally tougher than, you know, I guess a team full of guys like me. It's interesting because you really detail his relationship with Vinny LeCavier in that chapter as well, which is just fascinating. And there are moments when John lets you in. I never had an issue with him. He always treated me with respect and, and fairly. And perhaps my favorite towards moment here was not a hockey moment. It was actually at a charity dog walk where I actually brought my dogs, Madison and Yager, named after Madison Square Garden, Yaramir Yager, obviously. And we talked about it, what it was like for him to come home after a loss and have his dogs, you know, come and greet him like he had just won the Stanley Cup. And he had this smile come over him, and it was just the most real smile and, and one of the most real moments I remember with Torts over the years. You know, sitting down with him, what can you tell our viewers that only really know Torts, you know, out-of-market guys that only know Torts from the video compilations of his meltdowns in, in the postgame and what he's really like? Yeah, so that's... So I was that first guy. I was the guy that only knew John from getting, you know, snapped at in a scrum because I asked the wrong question or, you know, watching him squirt a fan with a water bottle. So there was a level of trepidation that went into this um, to begin with. Like, you know, I think I'm I'm sure I mentioned in the book, I was nervous going into that and not knowing John particularly well. And, you know, it only took me, you know, 15 minutes to realize, okay, this is going to be really interesting because he's opening up this uh, clearly, you know, the, the, the public perception of him is way different than the reality. And to me, the most interesting point was, was when I think I always just assumed with, with a guy like that and with John and the way that these problems kept re creeping up in his career, that he just, he just didn't care what any of us thought or what the fans thought of him or what the players thought of him. And, you know, it was just like, he was going to be him and who cares what anyone thinks of me like that. That's what I assumed his mentality was. And when he when he starts to you know explain why he does some of the things he does, and I, there's a point where I ask him, I'm like, well, John, you know, do you really care? Like, what do you care? Like, do you care if people what they think of you? And he's like, yes, like I'm a human being, and I do care. And, and with the caveat being, I'm not going to change what I really believe in um, to to kind of placate people or to satisfy people, but I do. He, he does care, and 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 you know, I th- I think you see that in in some of the conversation we had there. Absolutely tremendous read. I loved it. Uh, where can people get a hold of it? Uh, Barnes & Noble. Any book, I mean, it's everywhere. Bookstores, Amazon, wherever. Library. Just, I'd love for anyone to check it out. 
It makes a, a perfect companion to New York Rangers by the numbers yeah, by me and Howie Carpenter. They're both available on Amazon, so you can go now. Craig, thanks so much. I, I really enjoyed this, but I loved it. You know, especially the guys that I've gotten to speak to over the years, and it is such a fascinating topic. And you're right, you get those little glimpses. I I, I was you know amazed that you had the opportunity to sit down and watch these games and break down film with them. It, it must have been amazing. I, I wish it. You know, that could be a show on the NHL Network for sure. Yeah. You just well maybe HBO basically with you with that. <laughs> right. might have to, some of the language you have to clean it up. Epics, right? I mean, you know, the hell with the road to the Winter Classic. I, I think this is a series. Go start pitching uh, it now. It. <laughs> that, thanks so much <laughs> for your time. Good. We really appreciate it, Craig. Take care. Thanks for having me on. Al Pleasure, Craig Custance, the author of Behind the Bench, a tremendous book. I really recommend it if you are a hockey fan.